Lord has told us when we started this, he said, go back to the garden. Go back to the garden. So we went back to the garden, and we went to the trial, and we're coming to the cross. Jesus walked to the cross for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you were willing to walk the walk and not just talk to talk. <laughs> Can we follow suit? <laughs> Can we follow suit? Hallelujah. So about the cross, here's what happened, beloved. When Adam was in the garden, when Adam was in the garden, he handed over some keys. <laughs> it affected the whole human race. You see, when Adam was in the garden, he had the very nature of God. He communed with God. He was connected to God. Now, I'm, I'm sure they would just think and, and, and they would understand each other's thoughts. No separation. Total communion. Thank you that Jesus wanted back. But first, Adam gave it away. And when that happened, his whole nature changed. He took on the sin nature. He took on the death nature. He took on the nature of his new master. His new master was Satan, the father of lies. And ever since then, the whole human creation has been listening to a pack of lies. And we're done. We're done. Because Jesus made it for us that we can be done. He finished the work. He did what his father asked him to do. Hallelujah. So you see, he took on the very image of Satan. He took on death. He took on sin. He took on fear. You name it. Every single darkness. Every spiritual darkness. But Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus has redeemed us. Praise God. He always had the plan to reconcile us perfectly. Perfectly. No disconnect. Perfectly reunited with the Father. So I'm sure that's why God has us studying all this. Because as we truly understand everything that Christ went through, to bring us back into full communion, we will fearlessly, undauntedly walk in what he's purchased for us. If he was serious enough to go through what he went through to get it to us, we will seriously be able to walk in it because we'll stop believing the lies. So anyway, let's look at the fallen nature of Satan. Let's look at it. John 8, 44. This is Jesus speaking. He's actually speaking to the people. He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the Pharisees. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Here's Satan. Here's his nature. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, 
for there is no truth in him. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But we have the father of truth. We have the father of truth. When you become born again, when we become born again, we receive the nature of God. We receive, we come back into union with the father of truth. Thank you, Lord. Truth, one of, one of the definitions for truth is reality. That's one, one definition. So let's think about it this way. If there's no truth in Satan, which there isn't, he masquerades lying, masquerades about lying. If there's no truth in him, then he is the absence of all reality. There's no reality in him whatsoever. There, he is the complete absence of any reality. Think about that. I think that's a pretty powerful thing. In Romans 1.25, it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. See, that's what happened at the fall. Adam exchanged the truth for a lie, for a new master. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you see... When Adam exchanged what he exchanged, people lost their approach to God. They lost it. Come on, guys, think about it. Think about what happened, because if you think about what happened, you think about what we've been redeemed back into. The human race was hopeless at that point. Hopeless, powerless. And Christ fixed it all. Already for you and for me. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. In other words, it doesn't know God. It doesn't like God. It doesn't want to be with God. It sees no point in God. It doesn't want God. And then when we receive Jesus, we receive his image. We receive a reconnectedness. And it is our desire to please him and to commune with him. It's his desire for us. It's his desire for us. We're precious in his sight. We're precious. We're precious in his sight. So Jesus came back, and for those of us who receive him as Lord and Savior... He's restored it all. Hallelujah. He's taken down every wall of division. Every wall. He's defeated every darkness. All sin, all oppression, all lack. It's not meant for us. You're not meant to walk in any of that. And by the blood, we can just call on the name. Plead the blood of Jesus. He sees us through the blood, totally redeemed, totally cleansed.
complete in him and in him alone. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It is his good pleasure. It is his good pleasure to dine with you. It is his good pleasure to walk with you. It is his good pleasure to sing songs of rejoicing over you. It is his good pleasure to hold you in his bosom. It is his good pleasure to speak the goodness of God into your heart. It is his good pleasure to crown the head of the righteous with blessing. And when you're in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. The glory that Jesus came, the glory that he received from the Father, he came to give us. And in Romans 8, it says that we will be astounded at the glory to be revealed in us. You see, we are his children. We are his children. You are no longer children of the lying one. You are no longer children of the darkness. You are children of God. He delights in you. He rejoices over you with singing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus brought us into fellowship with our loving Father. Can we get a hold of that, beautiful ones, beloved of the Lord? Fellowship. Fellowship. No disconnect. No disconnect. You can just talk to him. Just talk to him. Just pour out your heart to him. Pour out the burdens. In your weakness, he's made strong. He's come to fulfill good plans in you. To give you hope in the future. He holds you in the palm of his hand. You are the apple of his eye. You are his beloved. You are his child. So you see, after Jesus went to the cross and did all the other things that he did, we're going to get back to the cross in a minute, but it gave us, it gave us, his children, the right to enter boldly into the throne of grace. Can we get a hold of it? No disconnect. No separation. Once that veil got torn, no separation. Do we understand? No separation. One with him, just like he and Christ were one. 
Hallelujah. We've been redeemed into that. Praise you, Father. So on the cross, Jesus took on every sin. He took on every sickness. He took on every oppression. He took on every untruth. He took on every darkness. He took on every lack. Darkness of any form. He took it. He took it for us. Thank you, Lord. Though he had never sinned, never did one thing wrong, he stood in our stead. You see, in the natural, in the natural, justice would have required mandatory, I'm talking mandatory, because we serve a just father, mandatory, every little thing we've ever done wrong would have required punishment. A bad thought. Wow. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing that I didn't have to bear guilt and shame for every little wrong thing I've ever done. Even wrong thoughts. Whew, what a burden. <laughs> but we serve the burden-removing, yoke-destroying Savior of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He came and utterly destroyed the power of Satan. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. The mercy of God found a way to my heart. The mercy of God found a way to redeem me and forgive me. Hallelujah. Reunite me. That I don't have to stand in his presence condemned, ashamed, fearful. I don't need to do that. I won't do it. And you shouldn't either. Because you are a new creature in Christ when you have believed on him as your Savior. You are redeemed. Stand tall, beloved. Stand strong, beloved. Know who you are in Christ. Know what he's done for you. I know I'm supposed to be talking about the cross. I'm kind of talking about the ultimate end, aren't I? The finish? <laughs> okay, so we're going to get back to the cross. So, when Jesus became sin, that's really what happened. He became sin, every bit of it. When he became sin, the scripture says, okay, we're going to go through this, and this might be kind of painful. You know, when we picture everything, we could never picture everything, could we? So it might be kind of painful going through this, but let's keep in mind what happened as a result and be thankful. Be so, so, so thankful that he was willing. That he was willing. So anyway, the scripture says that his visage, Jesus' vicious visage, the way he looked, the way he appeared was beyond recognition because of the sin 
that he took on. I mean, we can't even imagine this. Isaiah 52, 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. He wasn't even identifiable as a human being because of what he chose to suffer for us. What he chose. You are chosen. Every person is chosen. He wishes that none would perish. It's a matter of whether we choose him. I did read a commentary on this one, and I thought pulpits kind of described it pretty well. It said, Christ was so cruelly marred and disfigured as to retain scarcely any resemblance to the ordinary form and face of man. Think about it. He had to take on every curse listed in Deuteronomy 28. And in Deuteronomy 28, toward the end of the passage, it says, and even things that are not listed here. Right? Things that we can't even imagine. He had to take it all. Every bit of it so that he could be your stand-in, my stand-in, the propitiation for us. Wow. He took all the dirt and we get all the clean. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he took on all the punishment that our sins deserve, that our sins, not him, he never sinned, and in exchange for those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, in exchange, he transferred his righteousness, his glory, the image of God into our very nature. Wow. Wow. You're a whole new nature whole new spirit. Wow. So we're going to go to Isaiah 53. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. A lot of scripture. He was despised and rejected. Think of the time you've been rejected and then laugh at it, honestly. Just because there's no comparison. There's not that he would ever diminish what you're going through because he's here to help us through our troubled times, right? But honestly, just think about it. And then think about how magnified all this is in his case. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Thank you, Lord. You see, it's the substitutionary work of Christ. That's what we're getting to. Right now on the cross, he's taking it all on, but there's a time of substitution where he wins the victory and we receive the great exchange. Hallelujah. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. Wow. He had already settled it with the Father. He had already settled what he was going to do with the Father. Hallelujah. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? Nobody. Remember, Pilate said he was innocent. They didn't care. They sent him to be crucified anyway. They released a murderer in his stead. Think about that. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. You see, the sacrifice of the holy, spotless lamb. Yet it was the Lord, the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life, many versions there say soul, they make his soul an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. I mean, some, of, some translations there say the travail of his soul. Think of that word, the travail. The travail of his soul. And be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. That's us. He has justified us by what he has done. Just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. That's how clean he wants you to feel. Right? Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. 
because he poured out his life or his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And where does he sit today? He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, interceding for you, interceding for you. He lives to intercede for you. Thank you, Lord. In the agonies, the agonies, the agonies, I can think of not a better word, a stronger word. Try to think of as many horrible words as you can think of that mean agony, because no word would ever be strong enough. In the agony of what he suffered on the cross, what was done to him, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine the precious Lamb of God, the Holy One, who's never done anything wrong, left his father, came here as a man, the Son of Man. Wow. Separated. Why have you forsaken me, Father? Why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine, have you ever been forsaken by someone? Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma, sebekthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit for you and me. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, the earth shook, the rocks split. Thank you, Jesus. Now I have a question here. How could anyone not believe in God, honestly? Think about this. This was written in, in Isaiah 53. That was written a thousand years before this happened, and it happened just like it was said. Just a little side. You see, the Old Testament prophesies the new. In Psalm 22, we're going to go through Psalm 22. Psalm 22 gives us a graphic picture of the agony that he felt. And remember, it was written a thousand years before the cross. My God, my God. See, exactly, exactly the same. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine thinking this? Calling out to your father? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. Some translations there say, you are holy. You are holy, but you are holy. What's he saying there? 
I don't care what I have to go through. I don't care what this feels like. This is horrible. This is beyond anything that I want to suffer. And yet, you are the Holy One. I am here to please you. I am here to do your will. I am here to carry out what you want me to do to save the human race so that you can have children in communion with you, so that they can live eternally with you, so that they can know joy like no other. Wow. So he's saying here, God, you know, you're right. You're right, and I'm just going to follow you. How much more should we be able to do that in our lives? Lord, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just here to please you. I am just here to please you. Just tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to do it. And not worry about whether we're going to get offended or whether we're going to look foolish or whether anything. No price too high to pay to please our Father. So on this cross, he's becoming sin. He is becoming all darkness, all darkness. All sin. Complete and utter separation from his Father. his light of life into utter darkness. Wow. Every torment, every torment imaginable he takes on for us. So that ultimately we could be reunited with our Father and receive the very nature, the very image of God our Father in our spirits when we are born again. Wow. Unbelievable. The curse of Adam totally removed. Totally removed. This is not something you're waiting for when you are born again. You are not waiting. This is your ownership. This is your possession. You are co-heirs with Christ. Every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing of Christ Reading on in Psalm 22. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. You see that? You see that? To you they cried out and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame, but I am a worm and not a man. Wow, can you even imagine that? The king of glory, the son of God, what is he saying about himself? He's saying, I am a worm. How can it be? Completely forsaken. Having to take on the nature of the adversary when he never did one wrong thing. So that you could be called worthy in his sight. Wow. When he says, I am a worm, his heart is breaking. 
His heart is breaking. He actually died of a ruptured heart. Jesus even said of himself, okay, remember, this is a thousand years earlier. And then in John 3.14, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You see what he understands? You see what he's equating himself with? Who was the serpent? All darkness, Satan, the devil, everything dark, every, all sin. That's the serpent. And he's saying, I am the worm because of what he's having to suffer. I don't want to feel that. Thank you that he was willing. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him because what does he know? He's going to win this battle. He's going to win the battle for you and I. He did. He did. He won the battle for you and I. He became sin. He went to hell. And he defeated every bit of it. And it's time that we walk in the knowledge of what he accomplished for us. Because it belongs to us. Victory belongs to us. New creation life belongs to us. The name of Jesus belongs to us. The blood of Jesus covers us. There is no lack in the blood of Jesus. There is no darkness in the blood of Jesus. God sees you through the blood when you are born again. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You know, this is prophetic. This is prophetic of exactly what happened because when you go to Matthew 27, 39, it's a complete repeat. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him he saved others, they said, but can't save himself. He surely could have. But his love held him there. His love held him on the cross for you. That's what held him there. It was not a lack of authority. But he can't save himself He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Making fun of him. Mocking everything that he has said. Yet you brought me out. Back to Psalm 22. You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. 
From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Can you imagine? He has lived intimately with his father, and now he is forsaken. He's lived intimately, it says. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. He's crying out to his father, help me! Help me! What are the bulls of Bashan? See, in Bashan there were these bulls. And they were like stronger than strong, big, fierce animals. They were known for their strength and their ferocity. So he refers here to the bulls. So these are fierce, savage people. And the spirits behind them. Fierce, cruel men that persecuted him and sought his life. The bulls of Bashan, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the leaders of the herd and all the forces of darkness that motivated them. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. Can you just feel all that strength? It's turned to wax. It has melted within me. Oh my. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot sherd. That's like a broken pot, you know, broken pieces of pot. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. Can you feel the anguish? Can you feel the desertion he feels? What are the dogs, you know, Roman soldiers? A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes, prophesying again prophesying again. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. My precious life, precious, Never did one thing wrong. Perfect child of God, spotless lamb. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. 
Saints, when you're in the middle, will you praise him? Will you praise him no matter what? You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Wow. How could he even say this going through all this? Do you see his heart for you? Do you see his heart for you? He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Wow. That's calling things that you don't see as though they are. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly before those who fear you. I will fulfill my vow. He was not going to be dissuaded no matter what it cost him. We need to set our faces as flint in the same manner. What we go through is nothing. Nothing. Nothing compared to what he has done. Give up the shame. Give up the oppression. Give up the boo-hooing. Give up the victim. I'm a victim. Give it all up and start walking in the glory that he purchased for you. Give up the unbelief. Give up the doubt. Is it for me? Yes, it's for you. Yes, it's for you. Yes, it's for you. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Maybe it's not for me. Liar, liar, pants on fire. It's for you. He's for you. His word is true. When you hear those things, you say, "Uh uh-uh, no, no. Devil, you are a liar. You are the father of lies. There is no truth in you. You have no reality. And you have no reality in my heart. I'm not going to listen. I don't care. I am a child of the king. I was meant for better things. He suffered and died that I would walk in the full reality of what he purchased. The glory of the risen king. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. He has good and wonderful plans for me, plans for hope and a future. I am the very glory of God walking on this earth. 
to glorify him. Do you see what he had in his sight while he was hanging on the cross? You. You. And he was going to march the march no matter what it took. I will fulfill my vow. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. We're tarrying for that. All. You see? Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? You're here only to fulfill his mission, and you're here to bring others into the fold. And I got really, really annoyed recently when I heard some person say, well, all you people really believing for end-time revival, you're just wrong. That's not scriptural, because in the end times, it's going to be a falling away. Well, yeah, there is going to be a falling away in the end times. But it didn't say we couldn't have revival first. Right? It didn't say there couldn't be an awakening first. My God says, I wish that none should perish. So when you hear that kind of junk, just like say, okay, well, yeah, that's then. But there's, a, there's stuff going to happen before then. <laughs> there's stuff going to happen. Hallelujah. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Wow. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and you are meant to walk in that dominion because you have been given his name. And he rules over the nations. You are a royal priesthood. A mighty nation. And don't tell me you're not supposed to rule. You are meant to rule and reign with him. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord because Jesus did what he did. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He has done it. Hallelujah. It is finished. Hallelujah. 
Victory belongs to him, and because it belongs to him, it belongs to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want to ask you something today. We've just gone through this entire picture very quickly. You could go spend months on it. Go ahead. (sighs) Going through the, the pain, the suffering, the anguish that he was willing to go through to give you the gift that he's given. So I want to ask you this. I'm going to leave you with this today. Don't you think that the God of the universe and Jesus Christ, his son, who sacrificed all that they had to do, all that they had to sacrifice, who went through all that he had to go through. You know, God had to give first, right? He had to go through this too, right? Don't you think, don't you think that he would want you to know, to learn, to study, and to take the inheritance that he died to give you. Don't you think he would want you to walk fully in the fullness of Christ? That's our journey. That's our journey. That's our discovery. That's where we're heading. He wants us to walk in everything that he purchased for us. He wants us to realize what the new creation life really is. How free we are. How liberated we are. How utterly redeemed we are. How much in total communion with him we are. How much under an open heaven we are. How much the promises of the word belong to us. And he wants us to just walk in it and walk in it and walk in it and show the world the glory that he's given. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're on the road to ownership. We're on the road to ownership. So now we're going to take communion and then we're going to going to, after that, accept the tithes and offerings.